Good evening, everyone. My name is Blaze Fitzgerald Ryan. You are again listening to your favorite podcast of the week. Yes, it is A24 on the rocks. Again, my name is Blaze Fitzgerald Ryan. I will be the host tonight. And tonight I'm finishing off my absolute raspberry with a hint of raspberry lemonade. Next, we have the uh, headband gatekeeper himself. This is Cole William Whitlock Gibson. Uh, tonight I am drinking Voodoo Ranger Juicy Hazy IPA in a tall boy because I'm fancy and that was what it was available at my hotel. Up next, we got. My name's Eric and I'm drinking a hard cider from a cellar on the farm. Up next, we got my lovely wife, Kelly. Hey, it's Kelly, and that cider that we're drinking is a hard red from Royal Farms in Ellsworth, Michigan. Shout no, out not. to them. No way. <laughs> it's very delicious, sweet and sour, uh, and shout out another time. And lastly, we have... Good evening, world. This is Kevin, and tonight I am drinking the same old uh, whiskey sour that I had in the episode with Brandon and the martini shot. Uh, except tonight I'm using Buffalo Trace bourbon, and it's damn fine. Ready to talk about some movies. That's a good uh, a good lineup of drinks we got tonight. Uh, let's hope we can say the same thing about the movie. Tonight, our movie is called Cut Bank. It was directed by Matt Shockman and written by Robert Patino. You might know Matt Shockman. Uh, this is his first and only directorial uh, credit, but he has directed WandaVision, Always Sunny, and The Bad Parts of Game of Thrones. He's also directed, most importantly, uh, Fargo, which will come to play within this own movie. TV Fargo, show, the yep. uh, TV show, not the brilliant Cohen brother, not the brilliant Cohen brothers film. The writer uh, Robert Patino, he's known for Westworld, Sons of Anarchy, etc. So this movie again called Cut Bank. It's Dwayne playing by uh, Liam Neeson and Liam Neeson, uh, Cassandra played by <laughs> Liam Neeson. Liam <laughs> Hemsworth. <laughs> that that's a good flop. <laughs> like, oh I'll no, take we, that. we watched this different movie would movies. Probably have Liam been Hemsworth with. with Chris Hemsworth, William Hemsworth. Yeah. Okay. And Teresa Palmer, who plays Cassandra, witness a murder of the town mail carrier, played by Bruce, Bruce Derns, in a field outside of the town of Cupfake, Montana. And they stand to make a lot of money to start their new lives to escape the small town and their families that are holding Dwayne back. Meanwhile, local recluse sass taxidermist Michael Stolberg, who plays Darby Milton, is on the hunt for a parcel that was on its way to his cabin when Georgie was murdered. Now that's about as much as I can say without getting into spoilers, because this is a super spoiler-heavy movie, and it pretty much goes into it right away. So, that being said, let us talk about the opening scene. It takes place, basically, Georgie's mail route and Cassandra and Dwayne's sordid love affair, I guess. They're just having a nice little picnic or whatever. 
so, uh, Kelly, let's start off with you. What did you think of the opening vibes as is tradition with this wonderful podcast? Uh, I liked the kind of set that we were working with, the scene of this little small town. I thought that they laid that out pretty well. I like that these two young lovers, they immediately let us know how old they are, how long out of school they are, how much they want to leave, and that they're just in this beautiful, sunny, yellow flower field. But they, they do a good job of like letting us know how small the town is and how much they want to get out of it. So immediately it was like, it took them just a couple minutes to be like, dropped you in the world. Let's continue. So props there. <laughs> Kevin, what, what are your thoughts of the opening scenes? Yeah. Very uh, similar to, to Kelly with the enjoyment of the small town vibe. Uh, I really enjoyed the giant penguin and the uh, coldest spot in the nation line resonated pretty hard for me having a lot of time in like the up and just northern wisconsin and Jared. so that small town vibe was was excellent off the bat i really enjoyed the the color uh, saturation in the large field scene and then immediately the juxtaposition with the darkness of of the murder uh, i thought was awesome it kind of hit you know it was pretty good right off the bat um it gave me good vibes kind of moving forward on the film and i went okay i can kind of see where a24 might pick this up and was interested uh at least initially kind of started out Cole, what about you, my man? Yeah, I think this. Uh, I think this movie came out swinging with a pretty, pretty strong start to the film. Uh, set up a lot of the, the, you know, the small town vibes and stuff like everyone was saying. Uh, but I really liked that uh, the shot of them in the field leading up to the murder and, and with the that also followed like the mailman route and stuff like that. I thought they did a very good job of just kind of setting the tone of everything right off the bat. I thought it started off very strong. I knew nothing about this movie. Didn't look up any of the, anything about it. Didn't read the synopsis. So right when that dude, dude gets blasted, I was like, Oh, okay. It was not expecting that. <laughs> it was an interesting turn. I'm kind of excited to see where the rest of this movie goes. So yeah. All right. Next we go to our, uh, I guess our expert in the field, uh, Eric, uh, mail carriers day. How was yeah. it? Yeah, I, I am a mail carrier. Um, I'm not a rural carrier like uh, Georgie is, though. But as far as I know, the rural routes, you have to stop at each box. You actually have to get out of your truck because rural carriers, they don't have like normal mail trucks. They'll even have like Jeep Wranglers, I think. And they're, they're actually driving an updated mail truck, uh, which is a little unusual. And actually later, I see them driving a two-ton, which is definitely unusual for a rural route. I actually think Georgie was a realistic mail carrier. I, I vibed with him. It, but I got to say, uh, the dialogue for everyone else, as if somebody from Hollywood just pictured small town in America and had never <laughs> been there. Uh, like, they wrote them all, like, like 1940s dialogue. <laughs> and I actually looked this up. The director, Matt Shockman, graduated from Yale. And Roberto Patino, the writer, graduated from Harvard. So it was very much like an Ivy League elite view of small town rural america where they think everyone's stuck in the 1940s oh yeah they, they definitely viewed the setting as a flyover state in my opinion uh yeah so yeah so going off of that i wanted to ask eric specifically since eric uh after watching this film and getting to know georgie's character are all mail carriers really just a facade of smiling public servants and actually just <laughs> creepy perverted crass weirdos <laughs> um i can tell you that we have employ some of the weirdest uh people in, in the whole country, uh, like half of the people I work with probably could not be employed elsewhere. Um, not to uh, denigrate all mail carriers. I mean, it's a good job to have when, you know, you might not have a college degree or something. I, I do, but a lot of people I work with don't. And 
this guy, especially, uh, he does remind me of some of the older, pervier male carriers. <laughs> male carriers. They don't have any social skills whatsoever. Uh, not all of them are like that, but... Also, the male clerk up front, though, way too nice. The male clerk, uh, the people that work at the front desk, they the all are similar to like what you'd picture. Yeah, they are like D- DV or uh, DMV uh, workers or so, uh, Secretary of State workers. They are not the, ever that nice. Uh, they're the squirreliest of all of them. Squ- the squirreliest are actually the people that throw the pack- packages in the morning. <laughs> um that those are the people that come in at 4 a.m., get out at 12, and they just hate everybody. But uh, yeah, besides that, I, I actually think Georgie was actually one realistic character in this movie. Good to know. Good to know. So okay, I asked so... Eric earlier. Sorry oh, to cut boy. you off, Blaze. Uh, uh, we're referring to the scene where Georgie gets gifted the pie by the nice old lady, and I asked Eric <laughs> if he had ever been gifted, um, you know, food as part of his route, and uh, Eric says that yes yes he has but he's vegan so unfortunately don't give him any meat or cheese because he'll toss it straight in the trash just like georgie so realism hooray yeah Yeah, people have given me chocolate for christmas but i don't eat milk chocolate you know chocolate has milk in it so i either try to give that to co-worker or kelly's mom there's even a person on your route and i swear (laughs) we'll get back to the movie shortly but when eric and i got uh, married um one of the it was a woman on your route, right? She bought me jewelry for him to give to me with little like mail stamps on it. And I'm yep. like, actually, people are the nicest ever. Yep, yep. That's the sweetest thing. Yeah. I appreciate a good customer. And I'm always nice to them. But there are some definitely some bad customers out there, which we'll see one of the worst <laughs> customers later. And uh, that's what you got paid for, for burning all those Trump ballots, right? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> uh, probably delivered more the place i deliver i had probably delivered more trump ballots than anything true, else true well <laughs> speaking of uh bad male customers um i guess uh main character 1b or 1a or however you want to call it uh it's darby milton played by uh michael stolberg I should... derby Anyways, derby milton. so derby derby milton derby. played by michael stolberg derby, derby. derby. Derpy. 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 Yeah, that's what I heard. I thought he was dead. <laughs> that's what the little kid yeah, called ain't him, you actually. dead? Yeah, I so, thought you were dead. So, boy, <laughs> you guys are really killing my questions. Uh, so, Derby Milton is treated like a slow, almost dim-witted recluse with the constant joke, I thought you were dead, said relentlessly throughout the film. Um... Was he treated fairly at the beginning prior to know, like what you get to know about him later? Or do you think people, um, you know, were a little mean to him, especially at first? Uh, Cole, let's start with you. I haven't heard from you in a minute. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone was like blatantly mean to him at the beginning. I mean, like Eric alluded to, the male lady at the front desk was a sweetheart to him. Even held his poor little hands with his grubby little fingernails. But, uh, I mean, everyone like, yeah, it was just like, it was just a funny... I enjoyed the reoccurring theme of, are you built built Derby? Aren't you dead? <laughs> and then, you know, they go on well, with, their, with their lives. But, yeah, I mean, after, like, the first couple times it started, yes, people started being kind of assholes to him and being a little mean to him because he's a little creepy. And then he, you know, <laughs> takes a turn for the worse. So, uh, Kevin, what about your thoughts? Well, do you think um, he was treated fairly? It was interesting to me. It was almost like every person who saw him knew about him, but wasn't like reviled by him, if that makes sense. So everybody who recognized him, even though he hadn't been seen for what 
this film set up to be several years, still immediately recognized him. And it wasn't like, oh, don't talk to him type of deal. So, yeah, I do feel like he was probably treated like the town outcast. Um, but at the same time, I feel like that kind of set up the way the viewer was supposed to feel about him themselves. So not really knowing too much about him, but knowing that he's going to be a big deal. At least that was the vibe that I got right off the bat. And um, we kind of just see how that plays out throughout the rest of the film. Kelly, you got anything to add to that? or? No, I just don't really think that anyone was overtly rude to him. He was just the hermit. And then uh, the kids kind of have like a Boo Radley kind of superstition about <laughs> derpy Milton living out in the cabin in the woods. But other than that, everyone else was just like, hey, I remember when we used to actually see you all the time. And look who's back. And then when he yeah. reveals that how he is as a person, that's when they get rude real fast. <laughs> Fair point, fair point. Okay, so like I said, the synopsis was pretty quick because the twists come pretty fast and heavy in this movie. So I'd like to talk about the first twist, if you guys don't mind. Uh, spoilers ahead, but you should have already watched the movie by now, so uh, for any of the listeners. So it turns out Georgie, who was shot, it turns out that his death was faked. He was helped by Match, who was a deaf Native American. Do you guys have any thoughts about or feelings about the first twist, especially like where you thought the direction of the movie was headed after the first twist. Uh, I, I was surprised at first. I, I got to say, I didn't uh, fully see it coming. So this is going to be a critique of, you know, my whole film. I don't think Liam Hemsworth is a good actor. Uh, I, I think he, like his brother is a much better actor. I, there's a reason that Liam Hemsworth is just kind of known as uh, Miley Cyrus's one time fiance. When that was dropped, uh, I, I don't know. I, I didn't guess it coming because I didn't see anything going on deeper with Liam Hemsworth's <laughs> character, uh, Dwayne. I didn't see anything deeper going on there. So I just like, I was like, oh, okay, this is where we're at now. Yeah. What about you, Kevin? Do you think that maybe Georgie would have turned into the villain of the movie? Or did you think, uh, you know, what did you think of that first swerve that they right. threw us? So I enjoyed the um, the mute match actually a lot. I thought his character was kind of cool, even though he wasn't able to actually speak at all. Um, I thought that that whole twist uh, with involving Georgie and, of course, Dwayne um, and how that uh, revealed itself was very interesting. I especially enjoyed the scene where Match goes to the reservation at home and plays tag with the younger kids and just kind of sets up that this guy is truly only doing this for the money and for potentially his family or the reservation and just gets put into a bad situation in a bad time it paints georgie and Dwayne as manipulators it point paints them as taking advantage of somebody who you know was just simply trying to get by for his family uh as far as the twist at the beginning i was kind of focused on the scene with john malkovich in the um living room when he sees it for the first time and kind of focusing on his character's reaction um, the clear, weak stomach from a police officer who had never seen a shot or a murder before. Um, and that whole scene in general was kind of set up, uh, continued to keep me interested, at least for the first, you know, 20, 30 minutes of the film. Um, and then we kind of see it devolve from there. So the uh, cinematography, I thought, uh, done by Ben Richardson, this movie was filmed in Alberta, I believe, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. What did you think of the wide shots in this movie, Cole? Um, especially like showing, you know, a fading, dying Montana town. Did you think they did a good job at captivating that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think in general the cinematography was fairly good. There's a couple like, you know, shots that I, I enjoyed 
lot more than others. Like again, like the field shots, I thought were done very well. I guess some of my critiques, you know, they they talk about cut bank and talk about being the coldest, you know, city in the U.S. and all this stuff, and it's in Montana. And I mean, my third note for this whole thing was uh, weird Fargo question mark, and it's like they're, they're <laughs> clearly playing off of that, but then there's literally no snow. Like there's no reason that this is in cut bank. There's no reason it's cold. There's, I don't know. Just like none of that felt needed or necessary. Quick, quick aside though. It's funny that you mention it. Uh, so cut bank Montana is a real town uh-huh. and that penguin actually exists. Yep. But I looked it up just to make sure. And it wasn't the coldest day ever in the continental United States. That was Rogers pass Montana, which is two hours away from uh, cut bank. And the coldest average is in Mount Washington, New Hampshire. So I don't know where they're coming off saying they're the coldest place on earth. That really, you know, sticks to my craw. But they were right. There's 3,000 people in there. So I'll give them a pass. A fun aside, they reproduced that penguin and put it in Canada. (laughs) And now it still sits in that town where they filmed it in Canada, even though it's not the real. That is hilarious. That is so good to know. I really like that penguin. Uh, Kelly, same question about the cinematography. Did you... Uh, get any like good vibes off of it? Did they show the uh, the town and like the wide shots, you know, well enough? Like I know there was a lot of A B camera work in the dialogue, but uh, what about the establishing shots? So I'm with Cole that it was just kind of like average, um, better than it could have been, but not anything amazing. Specifically, that shot that uh, Kevin was just talking about with our sheriff. Um, that was like our first like slow pan zoom in on his face when then he jumps when the gun is fired. And that was like a motive that brought something out of me that felt a little more artistic. So take this with a grain of salt. I've never seen Twin Peaks. I've watched maybe two to three minutes of it. But the vibe of the camera work and also the characters in here is the impression of Twin Peaks to me. So that's that's the the flavor I got. First of all, you should watch Twin Peaks. That's an amazing show. And then Firewalk with me. <laughs> anyway, so on to my next uh, question. Uh, John Malkovich and Billy Bob Thornton play uh, friends in this town. They're both old, old-time old friends, and they've just been townies for the rest of their whole lives. Billy Bob Thornton plays a man named Big Stan and plays a no-nonsense hard case who makes Dwayne refer to him as Sir. While Sheriff Vogel, who's played by John Malkovich, plays a trepidatious, meek officer who seems way over his head and is always two steps behind Derby in the hunt for Georgie. What are your thoughts on the characters and their performances? And do you think maybe that their role should have been reversed? Or did you like the way that uh, the cop was kind of like the lenient meek person and the father-in-law was kind of the hard ass always on everyone's case? So for this answer, I think we have to differentiate kind of, well, at least have the discussion about why we feel like these actors were in these places to begin with. A lot of these films that we've discussed over the first 14 or 15 have been A24 films that feel like they're picked up because of an A-list actor that's attached to them. I feel like this film is exactly in that exact same vein with Billy Bob Thornton and John Malkovich as leading people in this film that make you want to see it on the outside. And then when you get into it, you kind of discover that it's less about them and more than a crappy story. Uh I felt that Billy Bob Thornton was kind of a forgotten character throughout the whole thing. We kind of got an interesting an interesting introduction to him as this Big Stan character. And if you're going to call your guy Big Stan, you might as well make him an actual, you know, character in your film as opposed to a guy that kind of shows up randomly, moves the plot, gets hit in the head and then dubiously survives by the end of it, which again we can touch on. Uh I did enjoy Georgie's character played 
by the the great. Oh man, why can't I figure this out? Oh, Bruce Stern. Crazy, crazy old white uh, guy. Bruce Stern. Yes, General Bruce Sandy. Stern. He did. He did excellent. I thought that was awesome. He did a great job in general of keeping me entertained every time that he was on there. Um, and for the part of the film, I don't think I would have recast it anyway. Uh, it probably just worked the way it did. But they didn't really make an effort to be anybody else but besides themselves. So Billy Bob Thornton sounded like Billy Bob Thornton in every movie. John Malkovich sounded like John Malkovich in every movie. Like At least do something to like make your character a little bit more character and not just whoever you're famous for. That's very fair. That's very fair. Eric, I got the same question for you. Uh, what do you think of uh, John Malkovich and Billy Bob Thornton? Uh, with this being the senior... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I know uh, John Malkovich very intimately. Uh, I was working at a large office building before I was a mail carrier. I was actually a file clerk between the 7th oh, and 8th floor when I wandered upon a random door I and I fell I down and I lived as John Malkovich for one day. I was John Malkovich. And then I got spit out on the New Jersey Turnpike. And uh, so I know him very intimately. Um, a little too much, actually. That's an incredible story. They <laughs> should make a movie about that. So Billy Bob Thornton and John Malkovich are two, like, I, I love uh, them as actors, but I felt, again, they were a little wasted in this movie uh, because I feel this, the dialogue in this movie was so just, like, caricatures of small-town people, and I wish that they gave them better characters to work with. I I think they were kind of wasted in this movie. It's amazing this movie got yeah, this many yeah, good actors. I think actors, it was you know? really off the uh, strength of uh, <laughs> who he worked with, for sure. Uh, does anyone else have anything to say about John Malkovich or Billy Bob Thornton, the really big, uh, the main draws of this film? I don't know Billy Bob Thornton, and I didn't really think anything of his character. I was just like, oh, look, it's a hard-ass father-in-law. I didn't know who I was looking at. I don't. I don't, didn't know him. But I know John Malkovich because of Eric's stint with him. He told me <laughs> a lot about it. But I thought that his character was great and that he did a good job with him. Um, I like the backstory between these two of having, they both had a similar love interest in the past and the softer guy is the one who really took her heart, but she was never going to stay in that town. I was like, and that's what led to their decision in the end of the movie as well. I like that that was all tied in there. John Malkovich having this conversation with the postal inspector and saying that his name is Sheriff Vogel. It, it's just, that's that's his name. And I'm like, that, that's great. So I thought that he did a good job, and I thought his character was written well. Speaking of uh, big-name actors, uh, Oliver Platt played the uh, USPS investigator, who we all know as uh, Mike Two from Ro Ginger and Rosa. Uh, Cole, do you think that he was underutilized in that role? Uh, what do you think of how he uh, played the big bureaucrat from the nation's capital? They never called it Washington, D.C., I feel like pretty much all the big actors besides Malkovich were underutilized. Like, between him, Billy Bob, I, I don't know. It just seemed like everyone was underutilized, and, and that, you know, was really caused by just some of the, the plot lines in this movie. There was a lot of unneeded stuff thrown in the mix that just took away from the actual story that I was more interested in. So we got, you know, with, like, the beauty pageant being thrown in there and certain other stuff. It was like, why even have these scenes when I could have more Malkovich, Billy Bob, and uh, the gentleman that you just said his name. I can't remember his name now. But, yeah, the, the inspector and stuff. And why not dive more into that instead of just doing a lot of hard cuts between John Malkovich showing up to a scene with another dead body and then going back. It's like, I'm going to go to the... <laughs> beauty pageant it's like i don't care about this part oh we'll get to that so yeah i felt like he was underutilized well, we will definitely get to for that sure. weird 
Ness. Another fun fact, uh, the Glacier Gateway Hotel, where Oliver Platt stayed, is a real hotel in Cup Bank, Montana. So they are very consistent in a lot of things with this town. Why didn't they just film it there? (laughs) Why didn't they just film it there? Yeah, no kidding. It's probably cheaper to film in Canada. Probably costs more money. Apparently there's, yeah, it's cheaper there, yeah. Canada is pretty They actually use, like, real... Although, let's talk about that for half a second, Blaze. Did you realize it took two years to film this movie? I did not. Two full years from start to finish to actually complete this thing, which is just mind-blowing to me. How did it take so long? I have no idea, right? How did it take so long? Someone should tell me that, but according to IMDb, this thing took two years to make. They had to build Derby Milton's real house (laughs) from scratch. They had to get him the right prescription glasses. They were getting things by the mail. Just They did actually yeah. have to do a decent amount of work to that house. Yeah. Apparently, it's a historical site in Canada, and they had to like, add a bunch of crap to it and all of the weird mm. taxidermy things and all of that. But I digress. It also Let's made uh, the screenplay one, uh, 2009's like, The Blacklist Top 5 screenplays. So I guess they didn't read the ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 2009 the screenplay was written. Oh, okay. So what a screenplay festival. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, like the the blacklist is like yeah. the top, the best screenplays that haven't been picked up for a yeah. movie yet. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. Just a little, so, uh, you know, weird asides. <laughs> this is this whole movie is like one weird aside. Honestly, that's exactly <laughs> it. Real. Yeah. Um. So let's get on to the uh, second twist, and this is uh, this is going to be a group activity. So the second twist is that it turns out that Dwayne is actually the quote unquote mastermind of this whole operation about faking the. Uh, death of the mail carrier to get the money uh so he can put his ailing dad in a better home like a actual like nursing home instead of the at-home drunk uh nurse <laughs> so my question is the director proposes us this question of morality uh in your guys's opinion Dwayne georgie and matches Dwayne and match especially um does their reason to pull this heist off uh outweigh the crime itself or is it black and white and they should never pull a stunt like this regardless of the situation well one i don't think they uh usps would ever give anybody a hundred thousand dollars if i went missing (laughs) they would sooner piss in my shoes before giving somebody a hundred thousand dollars yeah that that was a little unrealistic but either way their reason for doing this to get a hundred thousand dollars i mean I think it started out kind of as a victimless crime. I guess the victim would have been USBS, but um, but it started out kind of like as a victimless crime where, okay, we'll fake this guy's death, we'll probably split all this money, and uh, we'll all be good. I wouldn't do it myself, but as far as crimes go, there's worse crimes to do. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think that philosophically I'm on board with... Uh, what what they did you know like i'm i'm okay with it you know i'm like there's a lot worse things you know but uh and it didn't make me feel like any of them were bad people necessarily i mean georgie was a perv you know and he was kind of a weirdo but either way the others uh i didn't think they were necessarily bad people for doing it perfect so, uh yeah. kevin uh what, what what would you do in the situation or is their situation justified so my first thought was it like why did they decide to pull this type of heist off in such a small town that they clearly set up that everybody knows everybody at all times? Like that to me was like, no, nah, maybe you shouldn't do that because these guys are all well known and it's something simple. But at the same time, it might be the idea of a of an open and door shut case. It was really obvious as soon as they panned to that um, poster with the hundred thousand dollars on it, what was happening throughout the entirety or the reason they were doing it. I guess I can see it, right? An aging postal worker towards the end of his retirement, probably convinced he'll take 10000 or $20,000 off the side. 
Um, match we already talked about. He's just looking out for probably his reservation and his family. And Hemsworth just wants to get out with his girl. So everybody has the right motives in place. So they definitely did a good job of kind of giving us a reason why they would try to pull this off. And then, of course, the the linchpin in this whole thing is the Derby Milton um, you know, wrench in the operation, which actually did a pretty good job of uh, showing us that he was single-handedly responsible for screwing this whole thing up, which we'll kind of get to, I'm sure, when we talk about his character in general. But I can see the motives of these characters, and it was believable for me, at least, uh, from a viewership standpoint. I don't think uh, if you split $100,000 that you'd be able to move to California yeah. nowadays, or like even like, yeah, six years ago, you might be able to get like a homeless shanty in L.A., but you're, well, that's about it. Definitely not able to start was, your business. Right. My, my biggest problem is like, you know, I, yeah, it's a victimist crime and, you know, whatever, if you could get a hundred grand from the postal service, go for it. Um, I'm definitely not going to be calling the police on you, but if they're so match got five grand for fake killing the guy. So I think he got his cut already. So if you just take it between Georgie and, and uh, Liam Hemsworth, and they split it 50, 50, that's 50 grand each, which is a lot of money. But if you think about it, Georgie literally just threw away his job, which he probably makes, I don't know. I would imagine, I don't know, forty thousand dollars maybe. So he's maybe making ten grand more than just doing his actual job and retiring. And then Danny or Liam or you know he's getting fifty grand to go move across the country, which is good. But that's not gonna. That's just like I think this whole idea of getting you know all this money. It's not that much money. It's really not going to go as far as you think it will. <laughs> no. So I think that was kind of stupid. And also, Georgie's a terrible person, Eric. He fucking just, like, kills <laughs> Billy Bob out of nowhere just because... Wait, wait, wait. A- oh, attempts. Yeah. He's, attempts. He's definitely a bet. <laughs> Which, he, okay. Yeah, well, okay, I'm saying I at the know. start, their original idea was not that bad, but then, yeah, he ends right. up killing... Uh, yeah, Stan, okay. bad so. the, the old Stan. man, The old man with... Uh, 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 Asthma takes down Big Stan and, and doesn't end up killing him somehow. Don't know how that works, but Kelly, go ahead. I don't know what Georgie's grand plan would be. Everybody else I understand, I but Georgie's just like, I'm just going to chill out in this trailer and drink beer, listen to jazz, watch hockey, and wait. And even when it's about to be sold, he's like, I guess I'll just hide underneath and then I'll go back to just living in here. He has no grand, like, long standing motivation or goal he's just buying time was the plan to come back to the town after the money's delivered or that just for this movie there was a lot of like interesting ways that characters knew each other from long ago that they would tie in multiple times here and there and i thought that was strong this one though was like a major like weak point for me though of just what's what's georgie doing he's just talking wise to all these people and drinking beer right and he gets warned about it, right? Like, yeah. our, our character, Dwayne, tells him that they're selling it and they're coming around and he's just going to sit there and chill and wait for it to happen. <laughs> I agree. It just made zero sense. If he was like, I'm going to head to the Bahamas or I, I got a girl I, that I knew 20 years ago and I'm heading out. like, But no, he's like, I'm going to sit 15 miles outside of town and wait and pretend I'm dead. Like, not strong. Hell yeah. yeah. I'm not strong. And you'd give up your pension and your 401k yes. if you were declared dead. So 
you just take that money and not get your pension or 401k, which is like the one thing mail carriers really have going for them. Is that maybe even they, they get a good pension or they get a pension and a 401k. I would say so. he wanted that big sum yeah. of money so he could invest in crypto. And like, <laughs> that would be interesting. Throw yeah, that in there. Cool. Yeah. That would have been a sweet tie in. <laughs> Ethereum, I tell you. I tell you, boy. Ethereum. He would be a, past, a crypto investor. Yeah. Blockchain, motherfucker. <laughs> so, uh, so we go on to the side story of uh, Derby. Um, as previously mentioned, he uh, appears to be a better detective than the whole entire region's police force when he uses his impeccable. Uh, detective knowledge to find size 16 print sneakers where the man was shot and then check the store and that's pretty much how he starts on his path it's littered with uh just weird like what i would call police mistakes where derby's looks like a complete genius so do you guys think that uh this was an effective way in revealing uh derby's character slash intentions or uh, versus Sheriff Vogel's unpreparedness uh, for the first murder in town history? Or is this just really sloppy writing to get from point A to point B and uh, so we don't have to like think about uh, how everyone, like like Kelly said, how everyone's connected somehow? Cole, let's start with you. Do you think that Derby's little Inspector Gadget hunt was smart for the movie or just weird? <laughs> I mean, it started off interesting because i thought it was gonna be um you know i like the idea that this guy's was gonna destroy their whole plan just because he needed his parcel he needed it but and i i really liked that whole idea but then it just kind of it got a little overzealous and it lost its luster towards the end and and yeah and like his detective skills were like you said literally went to the crime scene and was like, that's a big footprint. Not a lot of people do that. But fucking no one else thought about that. And then he goes to the store and is like, wow, look at, you got down, he, fi- he finds the boot with the same tread patterns. Like, you got any size 16? And they're like, yeah, we don't do that. And he's like, oh, just tell me where they went. And of course they immediately, you know, no questions or some questions asked. Just give him exactly the details of, you know who did it so he just goes finds the giant guy that lives in town and and you know who he immediately you know discovers i don't know like his his detective skills aren't great but i thought it was an interesting story to start off with and you know the malkovich john malkovich i think he was more distraught and just didn't know what to do it was just kind of waiting to see what was going to unfold mostly so but yeah interesting yeah. Uh- to say the least. I wanted to start out saying uh, this is one believable thing for me. I could totally believe a customer if they didn't get their parcel, they would go on a killing spree. Because uh, if you met some of the customers I had to deliver to in 2020, when the supply chains were completely fucked up and they weren't getting their parcels for a few days, they were cussing me out for, for not getting their parcels for like a few days after they were supposed to be delivered. And... Yeah, it's just like I can't do anything about it either. It's like a truck comes to the post office, drops off parcels, and then I deliver it. So I I cannot do shit about that. So like I actually like Derby Milton's uh, subplot. I actually that that was the one entertaining like kind of interesting part of the movie to me. And I really like Michael Stahlberg who plays Derby Milton. Uh, as far as Sheriff Vogel's incompetence, I mean he is a small town sheriff. I guess um, Derby Milton being this complete recluse knowing exactly how to mount an investigation like this, that's a little unbelievable, but 
that's something that I think I could suspend my disbelief for for the sake of the movie. Kevin? So right away from the beginning, and I've kind of alluded to this already, that I thought that Derby Milton was, and you even alluded to it, plays his character, main character 2.0, right? He's the, he's the driving factor in the majority of this film. Uh, I did enjoy some of the comparisons that he maybe had to the viewer's relationship to real life. So many of us know the, the serial killer Ed Gein, right? Um, there's a lot of similarities between, I feel like, Derby Milton's character and kind of Ed Gein being the recluse that he was, the small town guy, and some of those things. We also see some references to other famous movies where we see some references to Psycho, right? Norman Bates and Buffalo Bill and The Silence of the Lambs, kind of some of Darby Milton's fascinations with like taxidermy, echoing some of Norman Bates and his preserved room has the undertones of like the Buffalo Bill desire to preserve bodies of his victims. And I think that was pretty cool in general. I thought his character was pretty well flushed out until the end where we just get some weird things with the whole parcel in general. I didn't enjoy that he was overly stereotyped as a stuttering, wide glasses, coke-bottled guy. I thought that was cheap by the director, making it far too obvious that this was the creepy guy uh, that was supposed to be the driver. I didn't enjoy that part of him. But I did uh, agree with Eric where I thought that Michael Stauberg's uh, portrayal of this guy was awesome, and it really was the highlight of the film in general. From a character standpoint, from a thematic standpoint, from even a cinematography standpoint with like the accident at the end, the car crash and all the shots and just him even just showing up and having freakish strength and things, just giving us the audience kind of a moment of, wow, didn't expect that. And anytime I'm a viewer and that happens to me, I feel good about the movie at least a little bit. So I enjoyed his character. I enjoyed the way it was portrayed, even if it was a little bit cheap in its portrayal. So I agree with Kevin that uh, as soon as we saw Derby, I was like, please don't let him just be the bad guy because of the glasses and the stuttering and the fingernails. And I wanted him to be, when he started his investigation, I was like, cool, he's going to be the new sheriff in town. He knows how to weigh an investigation and he'll get to the bottom of this. But then he doesn't. What I did like, however, is when he has his big reveal of, like, why he is the way he is. It's because he has some kind of, like, park ranger, I had to kill some bear family, PTSD, and I like animals more than people now. And I thought, I could see this being me in another life. This this doesn't seem like something that's outside of my wheelhouse. So what? I liked that part of his character. <laughs> what? I'm concerned. <laughs> come on, Cole. Well, You're, you must be next, buddy. <laughs> we see him and there's something, something likable about him. And he's an artist and he lives in a cabin by himself. And I'm like, okay, okay. I dig it. I didn't expect him to be so murderous, but I do like that. He wants to preserve like animals. Dignity was his thing with the taxidermy. He wants to kill poachers on his land and he's willing to kill people to get his parcel. Cause he's just completely gone off the rails. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I get killing, like, poachers and stuff like that, because those guys are assholes, and, and, like, preserving animals and all that stuff, very, very noble, but, I mean, those animals have to die for him to preserve them, so he, I'm assuming he killed them, but also for the jump, the jump for, like, him to be, like, I had to shoot some baby bears to now he just went on a massacre and killed like three or four people and then also might have two people just as taxidermied in his basement like right that seemed like a pretty big jump but you know kelly yep. if that's the the pathway that you might see yourself on <laughs> i will stay I far might have away been exaggerating 
or I might not have been. Time will tell. I always said the the final form of veganism is cannibalism because it's revenge on humans and you're eating oh humans, God, you know. Uh, it's, it's not do that we type all of agree podcast, that those Eric. taxidermy people are just actual people? I don't. Yeah, that was going to be my question. I, I, I thought. I think so. It'd be hard to prove. I was going to ask all you guys. You'd have to keep. I'm going to. Con- I'm right? convinced it's his parents, yeah. which is why the whole like. Um, yeah. Uh, lunchbox is such a big deal or whatever someone sending him mementos of his of his family that is no longer with him I thought they were wax figures possible they could have used the skeletons yeah the skeletons of his parents but there was also like blood in the basement I don't know we're we're getting way off track I like that thought yes (laughs) so okay so uh, was anyone else thinking the the reverse uh, twist for Derby though as you guys said he was so like gun pointed at him that he was like a serial killer you know i need my parcel i need my parcel big coke bottle glasses quiet the strength of fifty thousand men apparently uh <laughs> did anyone think that they were gonna like swerve and be like maybe he wasn't gonna be the bad guy that's what i was hoping for <laughs> immediately when he started investigating and he was eyeing the kid's car in the flower field i was like well because the cops so squeamish to this kind of thing it's time for derby to shine yeah i agree until he killed match and match was a sympathetic character right we knew yes. that was, was that was a complete that was a complete like, accidental oh. death though yeah match but at the same time he was about to rip the... his trachea out like yeah, yeah you get him on grab the, the straight for his throat yeah, yeah. Like, no nah, i think that that violence came out i don't sure think he right had there. the intent of killing him though no i agree the intent wasn't there but i don't think he had problem doing it well I don't... I don't think he wanted to kill anybody until Dwayne and Cassandra, or he figured out Dwayne, uh, you know, carved 911 on his car. I think everybody else was just, like, in the way of him getting his uh, I don't know, Georgie, to finish he, he bashed his, his head in with figurine. a freaking crowbar, and well, that was pretty violent. Georgie was also the post yeah. office Yeah, I guess that was, that was a pure yeah, rage. Yeah, was just straight up rage. True, because Georgie threw a cup at him. But I also, let me say, I completely felt Georgie during that scene. Like, just, you know, having to have all these pleasantries throughout the day, smile at people when they're just being jackasses to you all the time. I I get it, you know. I, I'm there with you, dude. Just, you don't have to take it to his legs. Everyone should have seen Eric's face during Georgie's monologue. Uh, it was I'm just... Like, you're, you're speaking yeah. to the, the common uh, man. You should have had your GoPro on. His <laughs> eyes were shining. Love it. Okay, so let's hurry up and get to the third act of this film where, uh, in my own words, this film went completely off the rails like a cocaine binge off for the writers and director's favorite parts of Fargo, No Country for Old Men, and Twin Peaks, and they all just slammed it into the last 20 minutes. So let's let's get this started. What do you guys think of uh, Cassandra's decision to continue to join the pageant even though that Dwayne was knowingly in danger? He told her that she was in danger, and she said... But I have to do the pageant. And do... Well, she, she had to. <laughs> yeah, she, she, she had always to. do it next she year? To, no, they yeah. found out they needed to still get out of town because this impending doom was coming. And they oh, weren't yeah, going to get true. the money from it for X, Y, and yeah. Z months or years or long time. So they needed the money just to leave and be safe. But it sure was annoying to watch. So, like... Yeah, plot holes. The pageant in a 3,000 person town that wasn't, that is for like women that have graduated from high school <laughs> and they there's a prize money and the judge is like the post office lady. 
I'm so confused <laughs> by all of this, and I hated every moment of it. There's yeah, two there's others, two right? Others, but two other judges. Not only that, uh, but then the link to like the bartender and the creepy like back and forth about I used to be Miss Cup Bank and the, oh, yeah. how that played in and that whole undressing me with the eyes bit with that Why did whole, we need her? Like yeah. exactly, it was absolutely unnecessary. It had nothing to do with it, and if it was supposed to be some weird motivator for our main character Cassandra to like be Miss Cutbank, it was just lost completely. So, <laughs> boo on that decision. She also and the size of that the size of that high school for the amount of people in that town was kind of obscene as yeah. well. Uh-huh. I could see there be some like rich old man that has retired in Cutbank or you know their family lives there and then they put on this pageant every year just to uh, keep the locals happy or something i, I could see that happening and they they do all the prize money but that's no, not I a think drust, it was obviously. kind of a realistic part right there's probably a lot of people in mid middle america that won a pageant when they were in high school and hold on to that for the rest of their lives and then become a bartender and all that so there was probably some relevance in there for reality but for the most part it it served nothing other than giving a link to Darby kicking the ass of that bartender that one time, which was pretty sweet. Cole, Cole were you going to say something? Do, yeah, uh, she wasn't very good at singing. Why did everyone keep saying she was a good singer? <laughs> what was up with that? <laughs> I didn't. I said, no, I I said, said she I wasn't know, a good but singer. In the movie, they're like, wow, you're such a good singer. And I'm like, oh, yeah, everyone else. no, she's not. Yeah. She's murdering that song. They're like, not in a good way. Like, could be like, no mountain no. high enough. Could be just like, nobody can really sing. <laughs> yeah. uh, in Either that, that or they've never actually heard that song. And singing they were like, they've heard. shit, did she, make, yeah. did she write this song? <laughs> they're like, best song I yeah. ever heard in their southern accents when they live in Montana. So, and that is Motown too. It's Diana Ross. So that that extra made me cringe because I I love yeah, Motown. That was so. bad. So what do, what do you guys think of a seventy plus year old man getting the upper hand while having an asthma attack on Billy Bob Thornton? Was that believable? No, no. He literally, I felt like he was gonna die underneath the building. <laughs> like I thought that's where they were gonna going. That the guy yeah. who fake died was gonna die under the building, and then all of a sudden comes out and whacks him over the head with a wrench. I'm like, no. Fuck you. That was stupid. I, I've seen Billy Bob Thornton get shot 10 times in Bad Santa. And, you know, and now he just is like this weak guy in this film. I don't yeah, believe it. A guy it. named Big Stan, and that's the way you get taken out? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. And he wasn't that, like, big, like, as a person. Was he big elsewhere? Yeah, maybe. His ego. His wife didn't seem very yeah. happy, to be honest. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, true. he was still thinking about his high school lovers, so or mm-hmm, wanted to be lovers, so there probably wasn't a happy relationship there. Yeah. Mm, okay. So, <laughs> does anyone want to talk about? <laughs> does anyone want to talk about the murder house anymore? I think we covered that pretty well. Uh, I think so. The maybe murder house. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think I think it was just wax people, but some people think murder. Did we care that like? Dwayne's dad and Derby were even that's the only reason why knew each other. Did like the only reason why his dad was matter? there was for that's that interesting. Story. We haven't it's talked so about stupid. Dwayne's dad at all until like right matter. now, and that shows how he little matter. he he mattered. Didn't matter at all. And, but he was supposed to be this big plot driver, but nothing. Yeah, yeah. supposed to make you feel bad for Dwayne. Maybe, maybe. I right? I don't know. It's like, oh, this is why he's do- why he wants to get away. It's like his dad's uh his dad's a vegetable. You know, ah, it's fine. Or, or it's actually to, the opposite. I think. Well, that's from, why he's still yeah. stuck. There. I will say the scene where he almost let him die there, but, with yeah. his machine was a little bit compelling. I did find that actually that like, oh, scene. is he gonna let him die? Is he? Oh, what? What? That was actually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so now this one's gonna go especially for uh, Cole because I know like Cole likes to poke holes in the uh, science of the movies, so to speak. So the hostage scene when uh, Derby is taking them to the uh, to the park <laughs> to the parking uh, or not the parking the uh, storage garage, and so he finds out that uh, Dwayne had scratched nine one one into the door, and he's like, "Oh, I was gonna let you go, but not anymore." What do you think of the uh, modes of death to get rid of the last witnesses as uh, empty packages, Cole, with loose duct tape? Yeah, I thought that was the stupidest <laughs> way possible. And it was clearly just like a big like plot hole of like, how could he possibly kill them in a slow fashion to where we could actually save them at the end? Like when he was bringing out right. the bags, I thought, oh, shit, he's going to just execution, you know, blast from the back of the head. And that'll be the end of the movie. And then it was like, no, I'm going to put this bag over your head, and I'm going to duct tape it, and then you're going to slowly suffocate to death, maybe, depending on how good of a duct tape job I did. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was... And also those bags, they didn't seem like they were 100% plastic. They looked like they were like maybe like a plastic fiber, so they were probably still somewhat breathable. They didn't look waterproof. So those guys probably would have just been fine chilling in there for a while. Uh, so, you know, for Darby being like a cold-blooded murderer and then just goes, I'm going to, you know, cr- get a creative way to kill you guys by duct taping back to your head. It was stupid. But, you know, I guess. He's like, but this girl just won a beauty beauty pageant. I can't cut these people all the ribbons. <laughs> yeah. No, not nah, them. Yeah. And he like, he gets the revolver and he really didn't use it at all. And like that's why I thought he was gonna execution style these people because I thought that would be a pretty big like dramatic shock to this thing. But no, no, not gonna do it. Lame. Cowards, yeah. cowards, way out. <laughs> does anyone else? Uh, what does everyone think of uh, the parcel just being that a parcel? It wasn't a what's in the box moment. It was it was literally a handbag for his uh, taxidermy, whether it be human or wax sculpture, whatever. What was that anti-clip? I, I didn't mind it. Yeah, like that that was the parcel he was looking for the whole time and it finished his it finishes his kitchen. So I, I kinda got that. What I I did uh want to point out was that that was way too many packages for a rural <laughs> route. That was like as many packages as I get. That way too many packages in that storage locker. Yeah, I don't know. It felt like the parcel the whole time kind of had this um Maltese Falcon, Ark of the Covenant type of vibe, something weird that might have happened with it, but then it just turned out to be a toy lunchbox, and I was just so disappointed. Like, it made sense, and I wasn't surprised. Like, oh, of course that's the way you went with it, but, like, just make something more out of it. I don't know. I was just left. All right, I'm, I'm Team Error. I thought the fact that it was literally just a lunchbox was one of the better parts of this film because it made it honestly more believable because of how fucked up some people are and how psychotic they are for certain things and like this guy was obsessed about creating this final completion and he was just so obsessed with that lunchbox granted through the whole film i thought it was going to be something more dramatic like a pulp fiction thing where they open it up and it's glowing gold and they're like holy shit this thing's amazing and then you never find out but i i I genuinely think that it just being a lunchbox was the better choice for making it him seem more of like a crazy psychotic person but you know in the end it still didn't quite pay off Hmm. kelly stern 
Yeah, I agree. It's the well, that's what it was all for. I like that they have a character ask him what's inside, and he's like, "This is it. This is all." <laughs> um, and also, I was hoping for a bit of like a rover twist. Maybe inside was uh, the paw of the first black bear baby that he had to kill. Oh yeah, that would have been better for me than that. I mean, yeah, d- different strokes for different folks, I guess. That was like one of the biggest letdowns in a movie that was a total letdown. Um, so, okay, so wrapping up here, how about that ending scene? Uh, can anyone please explain to me why everyone all of a sudden turns the blind eye to this whole male killing scheme and they put two in Georgie just to make sure you like... A coroner wouldn't know that a bullet was just shot into a dead body. I don't understand that. And then Big Stan, who was on Dwayne's case the entire time, not only is he on his side, he urges him to leave town with his daughter and gives him a stipend to start their new lives. What was with that 180? Can anyone explain that to me? I will give you a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of is it's reestablishing the whole idea of the small town taking care of each other and that everything's okay in a small town type of deal where there's no consequences for your actions. And it also kind of maybe allows the viewer to feel sympathetic with our main characters. You had asked us earlier, right, if it's a victimless crime. Maybe that's the theme. Maybe that's what we're trying to think about this whole time. Like, oh, well, it might have been a good idea if they had gotten away with it. But at the end, I just don't think there was any real commentary on it. And it was just not just a bad ending. I just didn't enjoy it as a viewer. Yeah, they probably could have got the whole town involved and they all would have helped out, I think, as part that of it. Would have been but I also think that the motivation we're supposed to find from these two old guys is their shared love for was her name Saline? I I don't <laughs> remember. Celine. Yeah, I think it was I think Celine. It was like that. Some Celine I'm gonna go with Saline. So they have that conversation right beforehand about she gave you the lucky foot and blah 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 but they both wish that they had left with her and they're like well we gotta give this guy and my daughter the opportunity to leave because they tried so hard and look how many people died so I guess it's fine (laughs) yeah I guess god we are really grasping for straws anyone else (laughs) I guess yeah it was just kind of like this is the kind of help you get in friendly small town America the cop will help you uh you know (laughs) give you a break from your crime and yeah, I, I don't think it's realistic. And also, like, again, I'm going to come back to this whole portrayal of small town America as these kind of picture us 1950s community where they also talk like they're from the 1940s slash 50s. It's not realistic. Like, where's the meth? Where's the opioid addiction? Where's the uh, racism? Where's the incest? You know, there's a lot, a lot of stuff they're missing out on in small town America nowadays. Breach. Please clip out. Where's the meth? Where's the, yeah. where, where's the meth? Where is the, the local meth? Oh, he... <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. And again, they're all going down once the coroner sees that the body was just shot 20 minutes ago. So I guess that would be a great... But it's a small yeah, town coroner, yeah. so they're wasn't in Wasn't the body too, so. also investigated when he was still in the trailer? There were cops all over and the news was there and they were investigating his body right then and there. Yeah. Right, exactly. And then they, they saw it, and it didn't have any bullet holes in it, and now it does. Like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's just a massive plot. Uh, he's a mail carrier. You can yeah. you can just shoot us in the fucking in the gut, and nobody also, gives a shit. Uh, silencers don't work that way, and bulletproof vests don't work that way. 
I hate yep. that scene. It would have just <laughs> destroyed the gurney the body was on, and everyone would have heard the gunshot. Oh my silencer, God. Right, and then they double down silenced. on it by saying, oh, I've never used my vest before. Like, come yeah. on. Well, clearly, sir, because you just, just blew this whole plan wide open. That's the movie. Does anyone have any parting words before we get to these wonderful grades? Uh, I did enjoy the 420 on the cop car. I thought that was funny. I did read a little bit of trivia on it. Apparently that whoever created the decal for the movie put it on there and they didn't like it and tried to remove it, but they didn't have time. So they just went with it anyway. Even though they took two years to film it. That's Uh, it. That that was the reason. My favorite line in the whole movie was when Derby Milton finds Georgie and just says, I thought you were dead. (laughs) I I was like, finally, this is the payoff I wanted in this movie. And I was like, this is... And that's how bad the movie is if that's your payoff. Yeah, I was like, this is what I wanted. This is what I was like. (laughs) If it would have gone black and just said Finn, you know, and then rolled credits, that would have been a B. Right. Um, Yeah. Uh, I I guess we're going to find out if this is as bad as Revenge of the Green Dragons for some of us, because... The last thing, the last thing I want to say before we get to grades is the final song "Cut Bank Montana" by Hank Williams Jr. I fell in love with it. It's been on replay in my headphones for the past day now. Uh, very, very good song, and maybe they should make a movie off of that "Cut Bank" because that sounded like a more interesting cut bank. Anyways, let us skip down to our favorite part of uh, the show, uh, where we grade uh, the movie. So let's start off with Kevin this week. Kevin, what are your final mm. grades on "Cut Bank"? All right, so I've alluded to a couple of my criticisms throughout this film already and during this review. I think that the A-cast was uh, put into this film only for the sheer sake of selling tickets and or getting hype, and that they didn't do a particularly fantastic job with the roles they were given or the script they were handed. Um, A couple of shout-outs. We do have John Malkovich being himself and Billy Bob doing his thing, but they weren't written into characters that were compelling enough for the viewer to really care. Um, Derby Milton is the co-star of this entire thing, if not the most important part of this movie. Uh, Michael Stahlberg does a great job, I felt, of kind of bringing him to life a little bit and getting past the idea that the writers put him with Coke bottle glasses and a stutter. Uh, I do think that there was far too much comparison to things like Fargo or Blood Simple. I felt that it was attempted to be a Coen Brothers epic where it really just fell flat and wasn't even half that. Uh, at the end of the day, I think this movie's forgotten in history. It doesn't do anything to really make us feel anything at all. It's far too cliched in the world of violence and over-the-top heist films. And I really just feel like it could have just been better off not being created at all or even left off of the A24 brand in general. Uh, I think that this movie suffers from everything from the beginning to the end and it doesn't do much for me i will not recommend it to anybody else so therefore it gets a d24 in my book and that's all i have to say all right cole what what, what do you got to say about this movie i liked the cast a lot of like the billy bob thornton and malkovich and stuff and and you know one of my notes was i I love the crazy old white men cast that they got going on because they had they had the trifecta but um yeah just like liam wasn't very good at acting his girlfriend was terrible there was a ton of extra plot stories and bullshit going on that made no sense no reason to be there and with other movies like kevin alluded to like fargo and stuff or you know no country for old men and just other movies that are, are just have done this have done it better have are 
just way better. Like ones that I would recommend everyone to watch compared to this one. This is a movie that I would not recommend. I think there's better options out there. There's more better use of your time. Um, I wish I liked this movie more. I thought it had had a lot going for it. I thought it could have been something unique and cool. But it, it falls short of the A24 vibes and falls short of being a interesting film to me. So with that, I gave it a D plus 24. All right, Kelly. Yeah, so my major bullet points have already been touched, and I completely agree with the two men who spoke before me. Uh, the strong point to me, like I kind of said earlier, was just the way that everybody was tied together and the way that they kind of introduced that, as well as figuring out who was involved in the plot to fake this thing. They kind of revealed it like a slow drip of, oh, and they're in on it, and they're in on it. Thought that was interesting, too. That said, I think that this would be a better book. That would play better for me as far as imagination and how you could, like... The characters, I feel like, are well fleshed out and that you could do a lot with them to just tell that story. I just don't think that the movie did a good job of it. And I don't think that it was very interesting at all. It was just... I was like, what's one word to describe this uh, movie that was not just like, we watched it yesterday, I kind of forgot it today. It just didn't stick with me, there's no stickiness, and it's just kind of lame. It's just a lame movie. That's how I felt about it, so I was going to go with a D-24. D-minus. Alright, Eric, can you pick this movie up out of the D range, or... uh... Unfortunately, I don't think I can. Like I said, they did cast a pretty good cast, except for Liam Hemsworth, who I just don't think he's a good actor. I don't think he should act anymore. Um, stick to uh, having sex with famous women or something, because you are still good looking, I guess. I Yeah, I think the dialogue in the script was really wasted on people like Billy Bob Thornton and John Malkovich in here. Like, I just think it was so out of touch, uh, and it just not realistic uh, dialogue for people that live in, you know, well, I guess as of now, it would have been 2015 America, you know? And... I, I like, I, I'm going to give it a slight bump because of Georgie the Mailman. Um, I, that whole monologue that he gave, I, I was with it. And I, I actually think he was, uh, he was the, like unhinged. And maybe that's why I think he was more realistic as a character. I, I, I still think the plot of Derby um, trying to get his lunchbox back, I was on board with it. I was okay with it. And so I'm going to give it a Mailman bump up to a <laughs> D24. Uh, I, I probably would have given it an E um, if it wasn't for the mailman the letter uh, subplot. All right. Okay, so yeah. last and certainly least. Um, so I think I've learned, uh, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, I feel like the movies that I specifically host, I think I'm a lot harsher and more critical on because you put in so much research, time, and effort towards these movies. This is one of those movies where I really felt like I was trying to draw blood from a stone it was so disjointed. It was so uninteresting. Uh, like Eric said, Liam Hensworth, who's you know the lead character, is so boring and so drab. When you look back uh, just a couple of movies ago, Adam Driver last week, or not last week, uh, Ewan McGregor a couple of weeks ago, all these like you know great lead roles that we've had, even if the movies weren't that great, the lead really sticks with me, and he's terrible. John Malkovich and Billy Bob Thornton, like you guys said, were were great, but you know they were only on screen for twenty minutes. Oliver Platt, even less than that. Teresa Palmer, who's actually a pretty decent actress, we, you know, I didn't even really talk about her because she was, again, one-dimensional female lead. 
Michael Stolper did a great job, but again, I really didn't like his uh, character. I, I thought it was just, it was too cliche for a crazy murderer guy. And like I said, I was really hoping for the opposite twist. So yeah, I'm really picking up the breadcrumbs of what you guys said, but I think I'm way more critical because I put so much time and effort into this uh, research. So I'm going to give it a strong <laughs> F24. I hope I never see this movie again. Um, Ooh. And yeah. I'm going to burn this notebook uh, as soon as we get off here and just be rid of it. Maybe have another vodka. So <laughs> anyways, but do not worry. Next week we're doing Ex Machina. It's going to be a complete yes. 180. And then I just think it's going to start climbing up more and more from there. We're going to have a guest on next week. His name's Kurt Facknitz. Uh, I, he doesn't really... He, he actually like does bicycles around cool. Chicago. That's his big thing. So nothing to do with AI, but... I'm sure he'll give us some good takes. The original movie, the original uh, name for this movie was Helltown. And I think they should have kept that because it was a hell movie. So that's how you felt. For our listeners who have made it this far too, it's time to remind you to leave us a review on your favorite podcatcher. Uh, we appreciate any five-star reviews if you like what you've heard so far. And make sure to follow us on all the socials for the latest and greatest in A24 on the Rocks. Where's the meth? <laughs>